Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be asked to preach. Of course, again, like I just said, this is where I grew up. Uh, 29 years here before we moved away. And uh, after graduated college, spent uh, really seven and a half uh, years, six and a half, uh, married, uh, ministering here and doing all sorts of things. And honestly, we got to the the point, our, our life was very busy. We were both working full-time jobs and doing everything and anything that needed to be done here. And we both had got to the point where we said, well, this is where the Lord has us. It doesn't matter that life is, is hectic. That's the Lord's will. The best place we can be is in his will. And we settled into that. And I was not looking to move, especially to the deep south. I am a, I'm a city boy, and I like cold weather. So Texas is kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> Although, thankfully, we live in what's called the DFW Metroplex, which is Dallas and Fort Worth. And there are close to uh, 10 million people living in that section. So it is heavily populated. So that's, uh, some, that's a good... Uh, it's not the country, you know. We're not like... It's not Melanie and Jake there. They're out in the country <laughs> milking cows and churning butter or whatever. We're still... We got concrete around us. Uh, <clears throat> So we're happy about that. But uh, the Lord opened the doors, and funny enough, sitting here this morning, these banners were actually up on the Sunday morning that the Lord really cemented in us that it was that we ought to, to leave. Um, so I guess you can thank Miss Donna, actually, if you want to know why we left. <laughs> but uh, that, that verse, those two verses are my dad's life verses, and I've heard them preached a million times in my life, and I was listing in my head the million reasons why it does not make sense for us to leave New Jersey and go to, to Texas, like specifically leave this ministry, but the middle of the verses where it says, lean not into thine own understanding, is what stuck out, because all of my reasons, as spiritual as they sounded, were my own understanding, and they were not the Lord's, and uh, I had to follow him. And uh, we have been blessed there. And uh, we know, we do truly know is where the Lord had for us. But let's, I won't rabble, ramble on any further. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter number 13, if you would. Gospel according to Matthew, <clears throat> chapter 13. <clears throat> Obviously, all of Scripture is the Word of God, it is inspired by God. He spoke. The second Peter tells us holy men of old uh, wrote as God spoke to them and moved them to write scripture. But I find the gospels especially captivating that they are the words of Christ. As Christ himself walked on earth and ministered with men and talked. And you read the gospels, you are reading what Christ said while he walked on earth. The Old Testament points towards the Messiah, it points towards Christ, and then you read the Gospels, and you see what all that was pointing towards, and then you read from the book of Acts on what men did with what Christ said. And this, is, this, this book is the, uh, some have described it, the unfolding drama of redemption, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, as you see what Christ has, and, and will be in this Gospel account this morning, and see what our Lord has to say. And of course, we are his church. He founded the church. He died for it. Bought it with his blood. 
So then, if we are going to be Christ's church, we ought to see what Christ said and warns us about. And in the 13th chapter, our Lord teaches eight parables, and they all have to do with what he calls the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uh, tells the meaning of some of the parables. Some of them he'll say it, and then he says, this is what it means. And others he doesn't, and he's left that to the disciples. Uh, I've found myself saying a lot of things that my dad says, and some things I, you know, just in mannerisms and things. Even recently, you know, started saying, listen, this is America, do what you want. You know, and you always get a, get, a, get a good laugh. I found myself doing that more. People say, well, why do we do it? This, you know, of course we can do this, you know. But uh, as I was preparing this, I even found myself writing some things and thinking, oh, this is how my dad would say that. So maybe I reward that a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, what I was going to say is, God gave us a brain, and he wants us to use it. And Jesus tells some of the meanings of the parables, and some he just gives them and says, all right, you compare it with Scripture, and you, what does it mean? Figure it out. I'm not going to spell everything out for you. And he leaves it to his disciples to discern. And we're, we're going to be focusing on a parable that is very small. It's only one verse, actually. It's verse 33. But by way of introduction to that, I want us to look at the parable immediately before it, which starts in verse 31 and in verse 32. And this is the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read these verses and then we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing on us today. Another parable, verse 31, put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather together this morning as a church, that we can sing the songs of heaven, the songs of Christ, that we can hear your word read, and we can pray together what a blessing that is, uh, the privilege that you have given us to do that, and that though we are, are people from many different backgrounds, from different parts of the country and world, we are united in Christ and have a sweet fellowship that only exists through, through Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would help me now as I preach your word, that you give me clarity in my speech, that I would say only what needs to be said, nothing more or less, and that we would all be edified and encouraged through what your word says. I ask that your word would have liberty this morning. We thank you, Lord, for all you have done. We thank you for this ministry and how you have guided it through these years, and ask that you continue to keep your guiding hand on it. And again, we are just thankful and we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. By, again, by way of introduction, we are, Christ gives this parable of the mustard seed. I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Just very quickly, we see this mustard seed that's very small. He says the least among the seeds. It's very tiny, but it can grow into a very large shrub, basically. It could even be 10 to 15 feet tall. So this isn't some small plant, but this tiny mustard seed can grow very large. And if you don't keep it, if you don't take care of it, it can overgrow and it become, can become wild even. He even says it becomes so wild and so large that birds of the air come and lodge in it. They make nests in it. And in a nutshell, 
the kingdom of heaven, as he talks about it in this chapter, is Christendom. It is Christendom. But as we learn in this chapter, not everything that is under the banner of Christendom is Christian. To borrow another expression I can picture my dad saying, a lot of strange birds fly into the bush of Christendom, but they don't really belong. They're not germane to it. They don't belong there. It becomes wild and overgrown, and they, they have taken roots. They, they plant, uh, they, they, they make their nest, they make a home there, and it seems like they belong, but they don't belong there. And Christ is warning his disciples. He will be leaving. He'll send them a comforter. He tells them later not to worry. But he will be leaving. And these men who he's standing in front of, they will be starting. They will be in that initial expansion of the church. Think of the men who are there. Peter Peter and John especially take a strong leadership role at the beginning of the book of Acts. And you see them going from place to place. And even as the evangelist, one of the first deacons, Philip goes out to Samaria and people are being saved. It is John and Peter who go there to make sure everything is, is, is up to snuff, so to speak. That they are following the scriptures. That they are preaching Christ. And they confirm the work. So what Christ is teaching these men is very important because they will be the, the foundation, so to speak. Christ is the foundation. But they will be the start of, of, of his ministry here. And he's going to warn them about things that will creep into the church. To be on guard of these things. And with this in mind, the Lord segues into another parable. In verse 33, which we will spend our time this morning. It says, Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. The leaven in the meal is the second parable that, and what we will discuss today. And in a moment, we'll look at specific types of leaven that Jesus Christ himself warns us about. But let's break down first this parable. What does it mean? There are three elements in this parable. First, there is the meal. The meal. He says that she took three measures of meal. Three measures of meal. This is not an accident from the Lord. This is not a random number. This is found throughout the Bible. When Abraham, you'll remember, was visited by the Lord and two angels, he asked Sarah to make them a meal. In fact, he says specifically in Genesis 18:6, make three measures of fine meal. As Abraham is going to fellowship with the Lord, she prepares three measures of fine meal. Under the Mosaic Law, you read those books that are hard to get through with Leviticus and all, you know, all of that. That's in, that's in there for a reason. Because if you read in that book, you'll see that when they provide the meal offering, it's, it's called the meat offering, but it's, it's, uh, it's like a bread. The meal offering, they're specifically to use three measures of meal. And those offerings are representative of their fellowship with God. So now when Christ is giving this picture, he says that they took, this woman took leaven and hid it in three measures of meal. The meal represents our fellowship with God. The meal is our fellowship with God. 
I mean, you, you could take this further. The fine flower symbolizes Christ because there is purity and evenness in Christ in his earthly life. Specifically, in the, in the Mosaic law, the amount of oil that they were supposed to use was not prescribed. Because oil throughout the scripture represents the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus said, for, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure. The Holy Spirit is given without measure unto man. So there's no defined amount in the scripture of how much for the Holy Spirit. But this meal that we find in this parable is our fellowship with God. And then we start getting into the murky part of this parable is the leaven. The leaven that is being hidden inside the meal. And leaven in scripture is always used, always used as a picture of sin. Leaven, or yeast, is an agent that produces fermentation. What it does is it corrupts and produces gases that cause the dough or batter to rise. It puffs it up. We, there's a little deli in Dallas that we can get to. It's not too far away. It's the only Italian deli we have around. I don't know what it is. We need more Italians to move down to Texas. We don't have any Italian bakeries. I can't get, I can't get a cannoli to save my life. But uh, there, is, there is an Italian deli, though, in town. So we'll go down there. And they get pizza dough. Uh, that freshly made, they freeze it, flash freeze it from New Jersey, and they ship it down. So we'll get our pizza dough there in town. And uh, in the morning, it's frozen. I'll take that out, and I'll put it in a bowl. And I'll just, it's still hard as a rock. And I'll put a little oil on that and cover it with a towel or something and sit it out. And then when we get home, all of a sudden, that big glass bowl that's sitting on the counter is completely full. That dough has thawed out and is risen. And then we can take that, and we can work with it and make make a good pizza. But uh, what is happening is that that uh, fermentation process is starting, and it is producing gases. There isn't more dough in that bowl than when we started. It didn't multiply. There isn't more. It's really, it's it's an illusion. It's puffed up. It's made itself bigger. That's what yeast does. It gives the appearance of growth. It gives the appearance of substance. But in reality... It's just air. Leaven puffs up. It was not allowed in the Mosaic sacrifices. It was specifically forbidden throughout. Leviticus 2.11 No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. Paul in his book of 1 Corinthians uses it as a picture of the sin. There was great sin going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul said, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much to be named among the Gentiles. Not even the Gentiles have the fornication that's going on in this church. What are you saying? The problem they were having was specifically was incest. He says in verse 2, Ye are puffed up. And ye have not rather mourned that ye have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning them that have done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord 
Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, as our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul, years after this warning from Christ, some uh, 40 or 30 years later, is, is seeing leaven and sin in the church. And he warns them, leaven corrupts the meal. Sin corrupts our fellowship with God. It doesn't separate and make us lose our salvation, but it corrupts the fellowship with God. There is a third element here in this parable, and that is the woman. With the picture of the meal and leaven firmly in mind, let's see what the Lord says about her. She is committing a secretive act. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. It's a secretive act. Her behavior is secretive and deceitful, not the actions of a godly person. The ungodly love darkness. It hides their deeds. The ungodly are secretive in their acts. A Christian can do his acts in the light of day, not worrying about who sees them because they are honest and upright, and at least they ought to be. They ought to be that way. Her behavior is not. And she represents false systems, false prophets, false teachers that sneak in and corrupt. They don't announce their presence when they come in the door. They, they sneak in and hide the leaven in the meal. Jude warned of this. Jude, uh, half-brother of our Lord in his epistle says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they crept in unawares. They didn't sneak in the building. They walked in just like anyone else. But they acted like they were one of them. And eventually, Jude says, they were denying the Lord Jesus Christ. They crept in unawares. John, in the book of Revelation, he, he, inside Revelation there are seven epistles to different churches, and he warns the Thyatirans that this is happening. And he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. This was happening from the very beginning. The Lord told John this would happen here. And then John, um, 60 years later, writes and says to the church in Thyatira, Hey, it's happening. Just like I warned you about, I told you what the Lord told, told us. It's happening. It's happening in your church. Watch out about that. Be careful. And this is the warning from the Lord. The Lord Jesus is warning us to watch out for leaven. 
A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, the Bible says. It's dangerous. And throughout, as you read the Gospels, Jesus Christ warns about three specific types of leaven that we will focus on this morning. Three specific types of leaven that creep into the church and puff up. The first is in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12. I would like you to turn there if you would. You don't have to. This is America. But I'd like to hear your argument why you don't want to turn to the Bible. So I guess so. Luke chapter number 12, verse number 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Our first leaven this morning is the leaven of the Pharisees, hypocrisy. What is a hypocrite? It's a person who pretends to be something he is not. In fact, a hypocrite is an actor. And that's, you trace the word, it's etymology where it comes from. The idea comes from a person wearing a mask, pretending to be something they are not. So then, there's all sorts of hypocrites, What's this type of hypocrite? Well, he says it's the Pharisees. So then it would do us well. And I know um, Pastor Matt has talked about this a lot. And I think this is, by the way, that's something I appreciated when I went to college um, and have been in other churches, that you are blessed with a pastor who is very knowledgeable on the scriptures and is, has a, a skill in teaching. And uh, when I was in school and, and there, we're being taught things and I'm looking around and uh, people are like, I never heard this before and all this stuff. I was like, you didn't hear this? I grew up hearing this all the time in church, you know? That happened so many times. And I thought, I, 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 I've been hearing this since I was a kid and they're taught, teaching things. Uh, you're, you're, you're blessed there. A Pharisee, though. A Pharisee Pretend to be godly, that they are anything but. The group, if you wanted to trace their history, and this is where I could get carried away, so I've, I, I've stick to my notes so I don't. Uh, they, they evolved from a group known as the Kazadim, which means the pious. And if you remember your Bible history, the people come back from Babylon, and there is a struggle, and a lot of the, the minor prophets discuss this as they're trying to Keep the people on track. We finally got back to the land. Let's rebuild the temple. Let's follow the law again like we're supposed to. And there's still this constant struggle of turning away from God and turning back. And after the book of Malachi, the last book in your Old Testament, the last Old Testament book written, this group forms because people are again leaving the law. So they start off with right intentions, but they almost immediately go off course because they start adding to the law to help enforce people to follow the law. So they, in trying to do good, corrupt God's law. And it only gets worse and worse and worse and worse until the time of Christ. They perverted God's law, God's perfect law. 
And Jesus accuses them of, time after time as you read through the Gospels, accuses them of this, of perverting God's law and defiling their fellow man. You can read through Matthew chapter 15. He has this long discourse with them where he, he again, he, he calls them whited sepulchers, which is basically in our tongue would be a, like a mausoleum. It looks beautiful and ornate from the outside, but inside is full of dead men's bones, he says. And you're just like that. On the outside, you look pious. You, you, you have everything seemingly going. You're, everything's together. You're this religious person. But in reality, you're dead. You're corrupt. You're lost. You do not know God. And worse, you've corrupted God's law. Jesus rebukes them. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Iniquity. So what is the warning here then for the church? You'll notice he says, in the, if, if you have the words in red, maybe it's easier to spot because we have some introduction from Luke. But he says, beware, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. This means be on guard, be vigilant, watch out. Be like the, the soldiers standing on the wall at night with his lamp trimmed, looking out for the enemy while everyone is sleeping. He was on guard. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for it. Be on guard. This is not, this is not the leaven of atheism. It is not the leaven of uh, Satan worship. It is not the leaven of the occult. It is not the leaven of outright sin. It is the leaven of hypocrisy. It is the leaven of those who appear religious, but they deny key doctrines of the Bible. They deny Christ, even. That is who we're watching out for. Sometimes we get so focused on the outright sin, which is all over, which we do have to guard against, but that's not how the devil attacks. That is not how the devil destroys churches. He sneaks in. He hides the leaven in the meal. Through the leaven of the Pharisees, it's the leaven of hypocrisy. People who masquerade as Christians, but are not. And this leaven is all over the place. We just, in our Bible Institute, we just did a cults and world religions class. And it is amazing. All of these groups that call themselves Christians, but are not. They are not Christians. Cults like uh, Mormonism. I mean, they don't want to be called Mormons anymore, but Mormons, Jehovah Witness, Unification Church, Christian Science, they all pretend to be Christians, and they all have Christian names, but their definitions are so wildly different. So wildly different. For, for the Mormon, God is, is not God. God was once a man like you, and he, be, he was so good he became God. That's blasphemous. Jesus Christ is a mere creation of God. That is blasphemous. They have a saying, and I even feel bad saying it from the pulpit, because it, 
But they say as, as God, it's confusing, so let me make sure I say it right. As God once was, you will be, and as you are now, God once was. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. That God was like you, and he became God, and you can be like him, basically. That's, that's a lie. They're masquerading. Masquerading as Christians, it's hypocrisy. It says, watch out for that. Don't let that in. Don't let that in the church. Maybe those are easier to spot. You know, where we live... It is kind of the, the central place for mega churches. And, uh, you know, Joel Osteen, uh, which I'm sure my dad's never mentioned or said anything against. <laughs> Joel Osteen is down in Houston. That's about four hours from us. But we have a couple, a couple other strange birds in the area. Uh, T.D. Jakes is right down the road. And uh, a lot, I mean, and then they have, they're basically these churches have turned into franchises where they one's called crossroads there's another one they have a bunch of locations and people go and they have pastors that work but then they can watch it on the screen watch the main church and you start paying attention to what they're teaching or what they're not teaching they are not teaching the word of god it is not christianity a spiritual person is a scriptural person and if you want God to be present, then the Word of God must be present. And if the Word of God is not present, then God is not present. Amen. If someone says, oh, God was here tonight, was the Bible there? Was the Bible preached? Talked about it all? Was it in, in, in the music? Was it, was it there? If not, then God wasn't there. Because this is how God speaks to us. Right. Beware. Beware. They lure people in with something that is near the truth, but not the truth. And near, but not, is the most dangerous. You can look it up on YouTube. But, uh, many years ago, Joel Osteen went on Larry King. And, and uh, you've got to give Larry King credit. He was not, not a Christian, but he was a good journalist. And he really... He really hammered him to the post there saying, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and he said, oh, yes, yeah. So does that mean me as a Jewish man or as you know, a Muslim, or, and he names all these people, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, does that mean I'm going to hell because I don't believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? <clears throat> and he would not say it. He would not say yes. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't say it. Later on, he backtracked. But on, on, on national television, with his feet to the fire, he denied Christ. That's the, that's the leaven of the hypocrisy. Amen. Watch out for that. God gives us discernment. You know, it's hard to see, but God gives discernment to spot it. In the book of 1 John, you can turn there if you would like, but I just want to read a couple verses. 1 John, chapter number 4. As you read through the Gospel of John and his epistles, I want you to picture where John's at in his life. He's an old man. He's in his 90s. He has seen all of the other disciples pass away. Most of them martyred. 
including his own brother, his brother James. Right in the very beginning of the of, of book of Acts, his brother James is beheaded. That's James, Peter, and John, the inner circle. And John now is an, is an old man. And uh, when he wrote this book, he was probably in Ephesus. But you know, when he writes Revelation, he's exiled on Patmos for preaching the gospel. And he's all by himself. And you can picture a man who's probably pretty, pretty down. And uh, I think that's why God gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. As wonderful and mysterious and magnificent as that book is. And, he, and when you get to the end of the book, all he can say is, Even so, come Lord Jesus. He's been encouraged. But he's writing these three epistles as an older man who's trying to encourage younger people in the faith. The next generations to, to love God, to love one another, but also to watch out. And he says in, in John, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have, not, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are of God, and we will speak the things of God, and those that are of God will know us too. The world won't, because they're not of God. How, how simply he puts it, how complicated we try to make things. We're of God and they're not. Try the spirits and trust in God. Even Paul in the book of Philippians, again, as an older man, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound, and then focus on this, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. I want you to grow in love, but more and more in knowledge and judgment. You are to get a little bit more judging, he's saying. The world says, oh, don't judge. You know, Christians are to judge. The world says, empty your mind. Just, you know, relax. Fill your mind with scripture. And use that God-given discernment and the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you to look at things and say, that, that's wrong, that's right. That's possible. We have to be diligent. Beware. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Turn back to the book of Matthew, if you would. Chapter 16. Our second leaven tonight, or this morning. And I need to hurry along. These last ones are quick. The first one was the most. Don't worry, Abby. We'll get out of here soon. You can... She's over there checking her watch. <laughs> Matthew 16 verse number 6 
Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Our second leaven is the leaven of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees will represent liberalism and false doctrine. The Sadducees are very similar in a lot of ways and very different in others to the Pharisees. They were the religious liberals. And they started forming at the same time as the Pharisees, except they were more rationalistic thinkers. And they welcomed in the Hellenistic or Greek philosophy into their religious practices. And they denied completely the supernatural element. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe the big sticking point. You read about it. It comes up in the book of Acts. Paul uses it like a sword (laughs) to defend himself. Because the Pharisees, Sadducees coming on him and he goes, I believe in the resurrection. They start fighting with each other and he goes out of the room. (laughs) They don't believe in the resurrection after death. They don't believe in any of the spiritual aspects of Christianity or of Judaism. They took out the miracles. In fact, if you just read the Bible, you would know that too. You don't have to look to history. Jesus tells us. Matthew twenty two twenty three says the same day came to him the Sadducees which say that there is no resurrection. <laughs> it gives you that all the information you need before it goes into it. You just, you just need the Bible, my friends. They took out, they took out the spiritual aspect of God. And this leaven has crept into many churches in the form of denial again of key doctrines and biblical truths. In Sunday school, you're going through the book of Genesis, probably the most attacked book in the Bible. They take away creation. Genesis, is the whole plan of salvation is in Genesis. Our whole need for salvation is in Genesis. You remove that, you remove the foundation of God's word. No wonder Satan attacks that more than any other book. They deny all creation, they deny miracles, the virgin birth the bodily resurrection, and even the authority of Scripture. And Christians leave churches, Christians leave churches, because they don't want doctrine. They want something more along the line of self-help every week. There's a, trying to get, know the area and, and get used to things were removed. I, I got onto a lot of different groups in the area just you know, to see what's going on. And we live in a town, Arlington, right next to Grand Prairie, where our church is at. But on the Arlington page, someone asked, it's like, I'm looking for a church. said, what church has the best youth program? Denomination doesn't matter. (laughs) What a question is that? What kind of question is that? And then underneath it, how many people? Dozens and dozens of people said, just following to hear hear follow-up. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. I just want a good program. To send my kids every week. And churches to attract that type of crowd have forsaken solid doctrine preaching to attract those that simply have itching ears and don't want conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're denying it. Um, this was made really, really made popular in the 90s with the publication of a bunch of books that basically told people, 
and they gave them samples of questionnaires and send it out into your neighborhood, send it to people's houses. What would you like when you walk into a church? How do you want it to feel? How do you want to feel? What do you feel comfortable wearing? What do you feel comfortable seeing other people wear? What do you want to hear? What, what's best for your family? Uh, right in your age, as if you're a husband, age 40 to 50, then what do, what do you want to hear every week? And then the book said, take all that information, put it together, and then figure out and form your church so that you can attract people. And it became known as a seeker-sensitive movement, where they changed the church to attract the people. But may I ask, what are you attracting them to? <laughs> you are forsaken the Bible. Then what good are you? What good are you? You are forsaken the thing that people need. And for 2,000 years, starting with Jesus Christ and his apostles, have preached and died over and have seen lives changed in every generation. People are, it's amazing. It's amazing how we're just in two of these. And Jesus Christ is talking about in their day and how relevant it is to today. Not much, as much has changed as people like to think has changed. People are still the same. The devil is still the same, and he attacks in the same ways. These are the Sadducees. Paul prophesied, or, or, yeah, Paul warned Timothy, and he prophesied about this in Second Timothy chapter four. He said, "I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word." Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And here he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. You make full proof of your ministry by making full of this book. And you, you preach this book. And you teach this book. And he, Paul says, hey, there's going to come a time, Timothy. Timothy's a young preacher pastoring in Ephesus. And he says, there's going to come a time, Timothy. They're not going to want to hear that. And someone might come up to you and say, you know, we could probably get more people in our church if we just started doing what they want to hear. This fables, Paul calls it. It's fables. It's made up. It's fake. It's not going to help them. And Paul says, but don't you do it, Timothy. Don't you do it. Don't you give in. You make full proof of your ministry and preach the word that you have been taught from a child. That is the leaven of the Sadducees. And very quickly, one more. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, if you would. The shortest of the Gospels. Chapter number 8. <clears throat> Verse number 15. And he charged them, saying, Take heed... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod, which is the leaven of worldliness. 
Herod, you're familiar with his name and, and his offspring. They are found throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts. The Herodian dynasty ruled from 37 B.C. all the way up until the end of the first century. And for the most part, the Jewish people loved the families of Herod. Because of this, some people did anything they could in order to keep them in power. And these people are called Herodians. They loved, these are Jewish people, supposed to be God's people. And they loved Herod and Herod's sons, you know, Herod Agrippa and all of them that go on. They loved him so much, they do anything to keep them in power and to appease them. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Herodians all gather up together to, to confront Christ. And uh, you can read that, and that is, uh, again, anytime Christ confronts them, it's so masterfully done every time. But they were religious people, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were religious people who were becoming more like the world to please the world. To appease the world. My friends, we don't need to appeal to the world to have success. The Herodians were concerned with politics. And they watered down their beliefs to make it palatable to a lost family. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The disciples, and later the, the becoming the apostles of Jesus Christ, changed the entire world without a single representative in Rome. And as Christians and as, as, as Americans, we have a, a, a wonderful government in place that we ought to take part in. We vote and we, you can, we have opportunities that other, they didn't have in, in these times. But I'm, I'm afraid Christians get so overwhelmed with politics and trying to change things that way that they lose Scripture, that they lose God's ministry to try to change things temporally. My kingdom is not of this world. They changed to focus on politics. They changed to focus, to change the focus of the church to meet social problems. But we don't have a social problem. We have a sin problem. And what does it matter if you have programs in place? And, and like, I'll, I'll clarify this in a moment. But what does it matter if you feed someone's stomach at the sake of Losing their soul. We have a sin problem. And beware, Jesus says, beware, Gospelite Baptist Church, of allowing the leaven of Herod into your ministry. Where you're so concerned with appealing Herod that you lose the gospel ministry. There are a lot of people doing good, 
social programs that we can take part in, that we can be a part of. And there are a lot of people who devote much, if not all of their life, to good programs. But can I say this without, at the sake of sounding a little cheesy? (laughs) Don't give your life to good things when you can give it to the best thing. Don't sacrifice the best on the altar of good. There are good things that you can take part in, that you can contribute to, but don't let that consume your life. We sometimes make a distinction between people that are staff on a church, who's called to be a pastor, and these, who's called to full-time ministry, these things, and then there's and church people. But we're all called to full-time Christian service. We're all called to be full-time Christians. And I'm afraid people put their, have their life in boxes. And, well, I, I've, I've filled up my church God box on Sunday and maybe Wednesday. If God's lucky, I'll give him Wednesday. And fill up these things. But then I have my work box and I have my recreation box. You know, I have all these things. And that's completely separate from God. When our worldview as Christians, that should be a dominating aspect of our life that, that we see every aspect of our life through. Not just, well, I'm going to bring my family to church because that's a good thing to do. But I'm going to have a Christian home. I'm going to be a Christian in my workplace. I'm going to devote myself to Christ. People get so focused on all of the good things in life and they forget the best thing in life. Paul says in the book of Colossians, If ye then be risen with Christ, so if you're a Christian, that's you. (laughs) If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You know what? There's something very interesting in Paul's wording there. Because there's an excuse that people use. Well, this is just something I really like. Of, Of course, we have fleshly desires. Paul says, no, you're to take your affection and you're going to set them on right things. You've got to change things. There, of course, there's going to be all sorts of sinful things and, as well as good things that you feel affectionate about. But you need to set your affections on things above. The leaven of the Pharisees sneaks into churches as they look good. And the leaven of the Sadducees sneaks into churches because churches want to try to bring in the most people as possible. And the leaven of, the, of Herod, of the Herodians, sneaks in because people get sidetracked, Christians get sidetracked from our true calling. And they try to appeal to Caesar instead of Christ. Jesus Christ told his disciples to beware of these three types of leaven, hypocrisy, liberalism, and worldliness. And he has given us a mind, a wonderfully complex mind, 
He has given us the Holy Spirit of God, and he expects us to use godly discernment. I want to close by reading the words of our Savior in Matthew chapter number 7. And I'll turn it over to Pastor Matt. In Matthew chapter 7, start in verse number 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and have... And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Let's stand for prayer. Tell me, Father, we're thankful this morning that we have the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. That we can read them and learn them. We have the author living within our heart, the Holy Spirit. And he guides us into all truth. Help us, Lord, to use the discernment you have given us to watch out for these leavens. So that this church, your church, can continue to stand and stand for the truth. Despite the overwhelming onslaught of the enemy. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised to never leave us nor forsake us, and we can rely on you. Help us to be diligent. In the name of